0: So one thing that I get asked all the time on this channel is, how can I get started in commercial real estate? I'm only 18 years old. I don't have any money. I don't know what I'm doing, I, I, but I'm very interested in commercial real estate. So I figured it would be appropriate for me to bring in Andy Zhu. He's on my team here at Hamilton, which is my investment and development company. He is a Gen Zer to the core. He's, he's basically famous on TikTok. He does a bunch of property videos and investment strategies and brokerage tips on there um, which is, which is pretty amazing to watch. So it's been fun teaming up with him on that. He started investing in residential real estate, what one, two years ago. Um, he's a Nashville native and he is significantly younger than I am. He's early 20. So got started around the same time that I did in commercial real estate. I dropped out of college, got into commercial real estate at 21. That being said, I wasn't working and doing some of the stuff that Andy is doing at his age. So figured it would be good to have a conversation with him. So Andy, what's going on, man? How you doing?
1: Hey Tyler, nice to see you. Welcome, and thanks for having me on the podcast. Uh, it's funny that we're actually in the same building, but we're in the same office. But I'm just a room over, so it's funny that uh, we're talking here on the screen as if as if we're a normal Zoom meeting, but we're actually in the same office.
0: That's right. It'd be uh, it'd be a little weird if you were sitting across from me looking at a different screen instead of looking at me. So yeah, we figured it'd be a little more appropriate to to. Uh, you know, isolate in separate rooms. But Andy, I gave obviously a little bit of a background on who you are and what you're doing. But can you tell us? I mean, give us your background.
1: Yeah, I mean, Tyler, I think you covered it pretty well. My name's Andy Zhu. Born and raised here in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, son of immigrants. My parents moved here from China about, I guess it was two or three years before I was born, so that I would have been 26, 27 years ago now. I'm 23. So I just make the Gen Z cutoff (laughs) as opposed to Tyler's way into the millennial cutoff. So I'm, I'm just there just barely. And uh, so they, they moved here to Nashville, Tennessee, about 26, 27 years ago. Uh, My dad ended up going to Vanderbilt for his MBA. So that's why we ended up staying. Uh, Nashville was a pretty sleepy town back then. And uh, growing up, I, I had always noticed uh, kind of, how quickly Nashville was changing, right? As anyone who's been in Nashville for a long time saying, looking at Nashville today, I think people 20 years ago when I was born would never have imagined in their wildest dreams. This is what Nashville would be looking like. You have so much investment, so many buildings coming in. You have it being, you know, the it city on the New York times about five or six years ago. So much excitement in the downtown area and Broadway. There's just never been, so much energy in Nashville as there is now. And that's kind of why I started looking at real estate in the first place. Right. That's seeing all this excitement and energy and growth makes it obviously a very good opportunity uh, to get started in a market like this in real estate. And also, I I initially was really looking at real estate, really interested in it because that wild growth was leaving a lot of people behind. Right, that wild growth is good for people who own a lot of property, obviously, but it can hurt people uh, who aren't as financially stable, who need to, who aren't making as much money. And it's caused a huge affordable housing crisis in Nashville, Tennessee, where something like need to build 30 to 40,000 new affordable units by 2025, and we're maybe going to build one or 2,000 max. So it's just with more and more people coming here, especially after the pandemic, just all these different topics and different things that you can do in real estate. And not only for the fact that you can make a lot of money, it's a great industry to get into for a career, but also you can directly affect a lot of people's lives. A lot of people's, uh, you know, everyday experiences and improve them for the better, give them safe, clean place to live, you can give them a decent place to start their business from all of those things are really what drives me to be interested in real estate in the first place.
0: That's awesome, man. I, I'm really excited to be diving into this conversation today because you know, Andy actually did a lot of the things that I encourage everyone to do when you're trying to get into commercial real estate. So we'll, we'll unpack that here in, in a little bit, but Andy, before you got, you know, really interested in commercial real estate, you were doing some residential investments. Can you tell us a little bit about what you were doing on that front?
1: Yeah. So during college, I, it was before my sophomore, I guess during my sophomore year. So I was sitting, uh, in class saying hey i think i want to get into real estate and i had a there's a longer story we can get into maybe about why i had that epiphany of why i wanted to be into real estate but i was sitting there in class in one of my political science classes actually it was the american presidency's class it was that was one of my favorite classes class. <laughs> yeah i was i was i was paying lots of attention as as you guys can tell sitting in the back of the class getting my real estate license taking the course online. <laughs> that's so that's, awesome. what I was, that's what I was doing that entire class. I literally was just taking my real estate licensing test. And this is a cheat code, all right, for anyone who, who wants to be uh, getting their license. Do not do the in-person classes. I mean, that just takes so much more, more of your time. Do the online brokerage course if you're considering get a license uh, because you can do this thing. Uh, and you didn't hear this from me, But you can do this thing where you just kind of click through all the next buttons on the online quizzes that they make you take, and you can retake those quizzes unlimited times. So that's may or may not be what I did in order to get through it faster. And then it says you're (laughs) supposed to have 40 to 60 hours in total time on the program. And so ended up, I finished it in five or six hours, and then I had to just leave my computer open. <laughs> for, so for that's that's
0: exactly what happened to me so I I actually tell everybody to take the in-person classes so that's funny that you have that opinion on it because wh- I went through and re- read through each section right they take five or ten minutes if, if you know how to read and you know the, but they a lot like 45 to 55 minutes for that section or 90 minutes and you go through take the test get a 92 on the quiz And then I, maybe I took a different online course and this was what the problem was, but I had to actually move my finger around on the trackpad because it would log me out every like five minutes for inactivity. So I ended up having to just crack open a beer and watch TV and just sit over here, moving my finger on the trackpad for like 45 minutes after I was done with the section. It was, it was was miserable.
1: Well, I had to, I got one of my friends to have a, a, a sleep thing to one of my coder friends helped me. Oh, <laughs> there you sure go. I called, so I to keep it away. So, uh, I mean, of course you did. It's more <laughs> that way, right, like the in-person classes. Obviously, it will take more of your time. And if you're like me, trying to get into it as a student, your time is the most valuable thing. Or really, at any point in your life, your time is the most valuable thing. So, anyway, that's the cheat code there. Uh, that I personally enjoy. And that's what I tell people to do. But so I was I I got into real estate. uh, So between my sophomore and junior year, started doing some residential stuff as a realtor. uh, And I really did not enjoy it. It wasn't what I wanted to do. And and it, it wasn't even what I had set out to do initially, I wanted to get into the investment side of real estate, especially to eventually learn how to address affordable housing concerns in Nashville but I kind of got sidetracked by the fact that I signed up with a residential brokerage named Keller Williams. And they're one of the biggest, I think the biggest potentially brokerage in the United States. Uh, I kind of got sidetracked there because, you know, they say, Hey, you can make all this money and you make all this. And obviously you're 20, 20 years old. And you're like, I would like to make a lot of money. That sounds, good." <laughs> I like uh, money, but exactly. But I didn't, I wasn't willing to do the things that uh, it takes to be a good realtor, mostly because it requires you to sell yourself. And I didn't believe in the service I was providing as myself. So, and what I want to what I mean for say from that, for anyone looking to get into the residential side potentially of real estate, because I think that's what most people think of when they're thinking about real estate, oh, they think of a realtor, really than they think of people selling residential houses. I would say that because of the internet and because of a lot of things that are going on now, Zillow and iBuyers and all this new technology, the value of a residential agent who just shows, sends you listings and opens the door for you is a lot lower than it used to be 20 or 30 years ago. And I just didn't believe personally that I was adding enough value to people's lives to take three percent of a transaction on it. I just didn't feel like I was really providing anything, uh, and and I don't want to disparage my realtor friends who do provide great value, especially if you're in working primarily with new time buyers or super luxury people. I think those those clients are need special emotional assistance and there might be some expertise there. But I think a lot of realtors, and this is why realtors have a bad name, uh, really kind of drop the ball and are not necessarily super productive and super helpful. And they end up kind of just being there and say, hey, you just had to go through me because I'm a realtor and I'm just gonna take 3% cut of your transaction just because that's how it works, buddy. And that's kind of what I felt like I was doing. even though I thought I was competent enough to provide actual good service. It just didn't, it just wasn't my thing.
0: Well, and it's it's kind of the 80-20 rule, right? I mean, I'm sure the exact same thing happens in commercial real estate where, you know, 80% of the agents just aren't as competent and they don't know what they're doing. The difference is in Nashville, you've got like maybe 400 commercial agents, maybe, and you've got over 12,000 residential agents. So yeah. you're more likely to run into bad residential agents than you are a bad commercial agent. So I, I I completely agree with that. I think, you know, I've got I've got a ton of friends that do residential real estate and they're phenomenal at it. And mm-hmm. and, and I say that because, I mean, you know, Andy and I could go do residential real estate. We're not going to be good at it, but we could go do it like we technically have the license, which is kind of crazy to me. Uh, but you know, my friends that are in residential real estate, like they actually have committed their lives to it. They know it. they are some of the best in service. Cause at the end of the day, you really set yourself apart in service there and, uh, mm-hmm. and, and your knowledge of the market and you know, who's, who's off market, what are the off market deals you got going on? Um, that makes, that makes a big difference. So well, will we'll tell us about your first investment. Was it, was it a flip?
1: Yes. So ended up being, so that's what I did all of. Between I guess my sophomore year and junior year, I was playing around being a realtor, and I did do some transactions. I sold my, uh, I sold both my parents' houses on the sale and buy side, and they were the hardest clients I ever had. Uh, <laughs> I would imagine they'd be very hard. <laughs> you cannot, you cannot ever tell them no to anything. So I had to show my parents, I'm not even kidding, over 125 houses when they were looking for a house. Oh my and gosh every day the criteria would change and they said andy i want to see this and usually you would say hey you know we've already seen things like this or wouldn't this be more productive i can't say anything so i have to (laughs) (laughs) and uh so i did that that for about a year but then i was like wait i got into this because i wanted to get into the investment side in the first place that's why i got my license saved myself the commission because i know i can figure out and run comps myself, I don't need to pay someone else to do it. I want to do it for myself. Uh, and it's not that hard to get a license. It really is surprisingly very easy. Uh, and which is a little so scary, I, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is kind of scary how, how easy it is. I was like, what what do I know about real estate after taking this licensing test? It's, it's, it's and, more
0: difficult. This is the amazing thing about real estate. And it, it, it should totally change. I don't know how it has stayed this way. It is more difficult to get and maintain a barber's license than it is to maintain your real estate license. And you think, okay, well, you're going to be be using scissors around somebody's head. So, you know, you need to – okay, but in real estate, you're literally working with people's, more often than not, biggest investment that they will ever make. I think that you should know what you're doing. And you think about, like, even investment advisors – the regulatory issues that they have to go through just to be able to tell people where they should place their money, it's its really not too dissimilar. Uh, but yeah, it's, it is is a little concerning how easy it is to get a real estate license.
1: Yeah, exactly. And part of the reason why I was like, gosh, I'm just not enjoying this. So I went into and found a flip from a wholesaler uh, over in East Nashville and I mean, I could talk about this property all day long, but essentially I had everything go wrong to me on this property that could. And this is to all the people who want to be investing in real estate, you know, in these personal rental properties and this kind of stuff as well, because I'm sure there are a lot of people who are interested in that as well. Do not do what I did. And what I did was say, I've watched all these videos. I can do it by myself. I'm smart enough to to take care of it. And also I was doing it while I was a senior in college and, uh, <laughs> having to manage a lot of things that were going on. So I didn't, I went in to buy myself. I said, I want to buy this house. I just kind of made a commitment to myself. I will find a property to buy. That's a good deal by the end of the summer. So I did supposedly find a good deal that I had, uh, gotten from a wholesaler over in East Nashville and. What ended up happening because I didn't have that outside guidance of what to look for and where their possible pain points would be and other just transactional issues. I got taken to town on this piece of property. I really did. I learned every lesson there is to learn pretty much in a residential house. And I, uh, thankfully, because I put a lot of time and energy. And sweat equity that otherwise would have been spent at school. <laughs> I, was <instead laughs> doing, I was instead doing demo at my house. I, we are profitable now and it's turned into a pretty good rental for us, but I made a lot of mistakes. So for people who are looking to get into that, I would I would say, do not do what I did. You need to find someone who is doing that, who's in the space every single day, to help mentor you, especially even, look, even if you have the ability to take down a house by yourself, I would have given any amount of money to have had guidance, uh, percentage of my profits, whatever, to have had guidance to prevent me from making the mistakes that I did make.
0: Yeah, it makes such a big difference having a, a mentor or a partner that's knowledgeable on your side. I mean, that's that's what I did for my first few deals. So you, you have to do it. And honestly, it's worth giving up half the deal or even more, uh, more often than not, because they'll come in and, and bear the burden, the the brunt of the risk. I mean, let's let's unpack that deal a little bit more. I wanna I wanna I wanna dive into, into this because you were 20 years old, right? Is that how old you were when you when you did this deal? 21. Okay, so you're 21 years old, and you go out and you buy a house to to fix and flip, basically, right? Like that was the original yeah. plan. So. I mean walk us through the whole deal let's talk about it how did you how did you meet the wholesaler how did you put the funds together to buy the the property how did you do the renovations i mean let's 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 dive into it
1: yeah so i met the wholesaler there's a lot of big wholesaling companies uh in nashville uh there's a couple like so obviously if you get into the real estate residential side of the industry there are a lot of people who are trying to do wholesaling I, this was one of the big national companies that kind of have branches everywhere specifically. Oh, well, I probably shouldn't say which company. It was, but <laughs> I was going to uh, say, let's, let's
0: leave names out of it. Cause I'm sure it's, we're going to find out that they're, you know, I've, I've never had fun with those guys. There's always some issues that pop
1: up, but yeah, we'll leave their name out. <laughs> so anyway, they're one of the guys that used they have a really nice website. And then you talk to them. So anyway, I got a property <laughs> from them and the the biggest first issue that happened to me was that this property was marketed as 1100 square feet it was actually an on-market property uh it was marketed as 1100 square feet and it was actually in reality when i purchased it 840 square feet uh so wow that was that's a problem, huge
0: difference
1: that was problem number one y'all like if to put that into perspective because i know people won't necessarily understand I mean, that's like chopping off a bedroom and a half off of a house. That's obviously going to tank your house value a lot. And price per square foot over there was 250 plus. So at a minimum, that was $50,000 of (laughs) resale value that I lost. So I didn't realize because of my naivete and trusting people blindly, they say it's 1100. I'm sure it is. Literally, that's how naive, I was because having dealt with the residential transactions of normal sales processes, it's like, I never had to worry about that. Because, you know, the bank or the appraiser would take care of it. And,
0: and you trust everybody involved out. in the transaction.
1: And yeah, and, and, you, and you're you like, okay, everything's great. You know, why? Why would anyone be lying here? And uh, so that's what that's what I thought, I went in, and I was trying to take measurements for my flooring guys one day i'm like okay it's 1100 square feet and here's the reason why i thought it was the case and wasn't worried about it because at the time and i don't have screenshots i wish i had screenshot of it but at the time online the tax data information page said it was 980 square feet and then there was a little bathroom off the back that said that was about a hundred square feet and they said there was a you know the bathroom edition so i'm like okay 980 plus 120 is 1100 that makes sense to me come to find out when i <laughs> go check out the tax data after we close that thing now says 800 800 something and i'm like what happened because apparently on on the tax data service crs tax data you can actually change that number you can literally go in and edit that number oh so, yeah so you
0: think that so so do you think that they went in and changed the number?
1: Oh, absolutely. They absolutely did. Because I for I wish I had a screenshot to prove it. I no know way. I saw it at 980. I know I saw it at 980 before I bought it. Because I'm I'm not that stupid. I'm gonna look at the tax data. You know, well, you know we
0: uh, I I am actually uh, in negotiations right now with CRS data um, to have them as a sponsor. So I mean, we could reach out and have a conversation with them and see if they could pull the data. <laughs>
1: I mean, maybe worth oh, like yeah. pursuing to see if there was a history of it. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, essentially, wow. and I talked to people about legal recourse on that, uh, essentially, I mean, I got it's buyer beware. Right. And especially on an investment property, they, they were just saying you could go after them after potential unrealized gains, but that could, you could only get that after a sale. Happen. So I'm like, I would have to wait this whole time, sell it, lose money, and then I could sue. Like, that's not, I yeah, just that's kind ridiculous. of, just got screwed. you know, I just had to deal with it. And so that was a first lesson why you should have a mentor. This. Uh, and, and it's funny too, the realtor, and I'm, I think it was on the realtor because she would not, I called her several times. I'm like, I need to come in, do another inspection. I want to take measurements and stuff. She didn't let me come in and do that. She said, the tenants won't, won't let you in. And I'm like, okay, what? I showed up one day just to talk to the tenants to arrange for an inspection by another person. And I didn't think to bring a tape. I should have brought a tape. But they were like, yeah, you can come in and whatever you need. Like, just here's my phone number. I'm like, huh. So she was trying to block me. Anyway, she disappeared. She never even took her real estate sign back. Uh, <laughs> and she wow. literally just left it at the house after closing. Ran, Ran off into the night with and her everything. commissions. <laughs> Yeah, literally her lockbox, her her real estate sign, she didn't even show up to get it. So I don't know what happened to her. She just ran off into the night. But anyway, that was that was that was funny. The so what I ended up having to do was, okay, Andy, you had built in because I had built in using kind of the seventy percent rule is what people look at when in, they're looking at investment property. And and what that means is generally you want to buy a house at seventy percent of the after repair value, when it's all fixed up, what is that value? You wanna buy it at 70% minus uh, repair costs. And I had done some rough estimates to have repair costs be about 50K. And so I thought it was gonna be worth over 300 and I was buying it at 180. So I was like, hey, that's really close to the 70% rule. And right now, if you're in Nashville, there are no houses at the 70% rule. You can't, you cannot find a flip at that rule anymore. That rule is outdated. So you have to, the margins are a lot smaller than they used to be. So I was like, hey, this is a home run deal. Well, why was it a home run deal? Cause the numbers were false. Anyway, <laughs> uh, I <laughs> it had wasn't to a teach myself uh, essentially a lot about construction and because I had never picked up a hammer in my entire life. I mean, you know, I was the nerd, you know, debate kid. All through high school, I only did cross country for like a year. I am not the <laughs> person who knows how to handle equipment. Had never done that at home. Did wor- woodworking, anything. Anyway, I'm like, look, I guess I have to save money where I can and do some demolition. All I've, I've got time. I can treat. To- I don't have extra money, so let me try to figure that out. Uh, because what we were going to do initially, and you had asked about money, where the money could come from, what we were going to do initially is that I was going to use my, uh, my commissions that I had earned from selling houses to get a uh, hard money loan on it. So I had enough money to get a hard money loan, but ended up being my dad had enough equity in his house on the line of credit at 4% as opposed to hard money loan at 12%. Oh, wow. He said, Andy, if you believe in it, Like, I'll believe in you. So actually, it ended up being my dad that funded it, that purchase, and I funded the renovations, essentially. Uh, So obviously, 4% interest is a lot better than 12% interest. And that's another saving (laughs) grace. If I had been on that hard money loan, I would have gotten really hurt, taken to town. So I'm very thankful that that didn't happen.
0: That would have crushed (laughs) you. I mean, that would have taken all your profits and some.
1: Yeah, I would have been, I would have been screwed. I mean, there's no way we could have turned it into a rental either. You know, I would have had to just sell for a loss and just be what it is. So, uh, I did all the demo, like, this is the amount of work that I was doing on this property, uh, in order to save on dumpster fees, cause a dumpster is expensive. It's 300 bucks for a 10 yard dumpster and can be like six or $700 for a 30 yard dumpster. And those fill a lot of stuff. But these tenants, these old people who owned the house, had three storage sheds in their backyard full of stuff, plus an entire attic full of stuff. So, I oh, mean, they gave filled you filled some parting gifts, <laughs> a lot of parting gifts. I we filled up legitimately uh, two 30 yards dumpsters worth of stuff, plus uh, a 10 yard dumpster worth of stuff. And then, plus, and here's what I did I literally would be shuttling trash in my SUV. Uh, back to the bandy dumpsters <laughs> i literally drove that stuff every time i would go i would fill my entire suv it was literally a giant trash can i would drive it back to the vanderbilt dumpsters because i read the rule book it's for student, <laughs> trash. It's student trash that is I amazing said, i am a student this is my trash <laughs> and getting I, your
0: money's I, worth I,
1: yeah i saved at least at least three to five hundred dollars shuttling that much trash back to the bandy dumpster so i mean this is the type of stuff that i had to did do to make this thing work i taught myself plumbing i installed a new literally the new water main pipe from the water main to the house i had never touched a pipe before in my life and i you know messed up several times but that thing alone teaching myself to do that i rented a little trench machine from home depot and ran the pipe and connected the pecs and drilled through the concrete masonry block with a drill that I bought like I literally just I did all of it and uh saved myself $1,500 uh, because that that one job would have cost me that much so if you're handy I mean being in investing in residential real estate you can save yourself a lot of money because especially if your job is not paying you more than 60 to 100 bucks an hour because that's what these people will charge you a lot of time your labor can be 60 to 100 bucks worth an hour in terms of cost. Uh, So if you happen to be good at that, then you can save a lot of money and essentially you're giving yourself a new job and which is not what people recommend you to do. But if you're making more doing that than at your current job, you can certainly make a lot of money if you're handy, right? So that's all the kind of stuff that I had to do to get through this property. Also, one of the people I was working with that I would really trusted, ended up robbing me and some of my tools into the tune of a couple thousand dollars worth. We have an arrest warrant out for wow. him, haven't so found him. Uh, <laughs> uh, Man, you so literally
0: did have everything possible that could go wrong, go wrong on this deal.
1: Oh yeah, and I, and I forgot to even explain that. I didn't account for the fact that we had to replace all the plumbing and all the electrical and that half the floorboards were rotten. Uh, wow. And so that being extra cost, right? And then we also ended up replacing the HVAC, which I didn't think we had to do either. Somehow, because of my conservative budget, I, and all my sweat equity, I only spent 50K, which is what I had budgeted in the first place. So I ended up spending the same amount, but I had to do a lot more work to get there. So ended up being okay, it's a pretty house now, we've got a great tenant in there. They pay on time in cash, and I'm very happy. I kind of like, uh, because it's our first property, I kind of like picking it up in cash. Obviously, in the future, I wouldn't <laughs> want to be picking up cash, but it's kind of nice to get 1400 bucks in cash uh, once a month. It, it makes me feel good. <laughs> oh, I know that
0: feeling. My, my first investment, I did the same thing. I wanted to go pick it up, and now it's just like, oh, just mail it to the office. I've got better things to do. But like When you first start getting those those checks in, you're like, man, I'm the king. I've made it. This is great.
1: Yeah. So I think
0: I think, uh, guys, there's there's some really big takeaways from that, right? I mean, be conservative with your numbers. You know, Andy didn't, you know, he didn't lose everything because he was relatively conservative with his numbers going into the deal. So, you know, get your underwriting right, make sure that you know what you're looking at. And don't just throw money at something that you don't understand. Uh, Don't be afraid to get your hands dirty. You know, like Andy said, he wasn't a very handy guy before he got into this deal. But when he realized that that's what it took, he went out and did it. I think that that's that's the difference between a successful investor and the guy that says, oh, you're going to lose everything in real estate, right? Because real estate's not some office job. I mean, you've got to get out there and actually do some work. So, um, And then then the third takeaway that I've got from that is just do, do your first deal. Get your first deal done right? Like now that you've done that first deal, do you feel so much more confident in doing your next one?
1: I mean, absolutely. There's nothing that I you have to, I mean, I, yeah. I don't want to say that I'm going to knock on wood. Right. But like what, what else could possibly go wrong? I had, everything in the <laughs> Oh, world. damn it. Go
0: there wrong. he goes. He said it. He said it.
1: <laughs> yeah. I'm knocking. I knocked on wood. So we're, we're, we're safe. Right. But I literally had robbery, uh, I had people lie to me about the square footage. I had way more damage than I accounted for. I had people trash the place. And uh, just pretty much everything that could go wrong went wrong, right? Oh, I didn't even mention this. I installed hardwood floors, like real solid hardwood floors. But I didn't realize that the crawl space wasn't cut properly, demoisturized with a vapor barrier and everything. Oh, no. And guess what happened? I spent $4,000 on hardwood floors that I had to rip up because they all buckled they went completely toast and uh, had to install new flooring there so i literally wasted like four to five thousand dollars on flooring because i wasn't familiar enough with building to make sure hey you need to keep moisture out of your crawl space i just didn't know and see those are things that i'll never do again hopefully you never do if you put in hardwood floors make sure you got all that moisture out of your crawl space pay the 400 dollars it takes to to, you know, put down another vapor barrier, it, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be worth it. Yeah, it's
0: worth it. Man, that's, the, uh, that's brutal.
1: Yeah, but the point is, as you exactly said, everything went wrong, but I was saved by being conservative in my underwriting in the first place. So if you can find a deal, you can literally have everything go wrong, as long as you're willing to put in some work, you can still save yourself as, as long as you you know, you've still got energy, you still got time, Uh, And a good attitude and I'm not going to say that I had a good attitude the whole time I I would go there because I had set all my school schedule to be Tuesday and Thursday and uh, To leave Monday Wednesday Friday open because I knew I would have to go work on it a lot regardless of all these other problems Uh, I would go there and be the most depressed kid in the entire world having woken up I lost $50,000 from one mistake of the square footage deal and You know, I'm sitting here digging through piles of trash by myself alone. (laughs) And it's like, I I can't, I mean, I definitely cried once or twice because it feels bad. You feel like such a failure. I felt miserably like a failure. So, you know, that's going to happen too. But if you can try to just keep going in the face of feeling like an imminent failure, uh, at the end of the day, it's, it's only money. And it's easy to say that. And everyone was telling me, Andy, it's only money. And I'm like, that doesn't help me. But now that I've (laughs) gone through it, I I can say it's only money. So when you are in a bad situation and you make a mistake in a deal, because it will happen, there's no way it doesn't happen. No matter how much you prepare, you will make a mistake and there will be something really bad that happens to you. you. You know, as long as you can keep going forward and have a good attitude and be ready to pivot, you'll make it work. You'll be you, you can be okay, you know, it's it's not the end of the world, even if you did lose money, and I didn't even lose money, but even if you do lose money, you know, that knowledge you gained, as long as you say, I'm not going to just quit out completely, will make you more money in the long run, and you essentially just paid for an education. Uh, and what I was telling people is like, hey, you know, even if I lose $5,000, it's essentially like a college education in real estate flipping uh, for five grand most people go to a guru and pay how God knows how much money to do that. And I did it by myself, you know? So that's kind of, as Tyler said, don't be afraid to do the first one, but ideally with someone in your corner behind you.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's the exact same mentality that I have going into our projects. Whenever anything goes wrong, it's, I mean, look, it's not life or death, right? Like it's, it's not like I'm, I'm out having to make a decision as to, you know like i'm i'm on the front lines in some battle i mean it's dude we're we're talking about real estate it's just money um and when and when you put it in that perspective again like you said it's easy to say i mean it, it, money is money and money means a lot but um you know you can always make more money right and, and and it is an education i mean you know my uh the first deal that i ever did we're actually about to go under contract on it so i've got a i've got a client that, or not a client but we've got a buyer uh, that submitted an offer and, you know, it was one of those deals where we were losing money left and right, and fortunately we held on to it for two years, and we're going to make, I think, about a, a 50% return nice. on our capital. And so, you know, it's, it's one of those things, it's like, man, you just got to push through it. You just got to stick with it and, and make it happen and have a little faith. Um, Sean just jumped into the broadcast, said uh, he just found you guys loving the content. Appreciate that, Sean. Uh, we'll, we'll keep it coming. Andy and I love absolutely love doing, you know, content on commercial real estate. He's, he's huge on TikTok. So if you're into TikTok at all, Sean, check him out on TikTok. He's actually got some really good content. Um, so Andy, uh, you know, we've, we've been talking about residential for 35 minutes now. Do you think that residential helped you move into commercial real estate?
1: Yes. I mean, definitely. It's, it's hard. I think a lot of people, it's just is the natural path for people to go, right? you understand a house i was not in my i don't think i was in a position even if i wanted to be in development eventually i don't think i was in a position when i was 21 to say oh i understand a commercial building or even apartment building uh which you know is just a bunch of little tiny houses all in (laughs) one big building right i just wasn't in a position conceptually in my mind to understand it it did, it did really help me. And I don't think everybody needs to do the same thing. But if you want to get in commercial real estate investing, if you can start with a little one, a little property, I think it definitely helps because it also kind of breaks your emotional fear of doing your first deal as well. So if I were to get into doing a commercial deal on my own, then I would have this experience to fall back on. I'm just like, okay, it's the same thing, but you added zero to the end. Uh, And obviously there are some things that are different about it, but I know. The thing is about once you're into doing real estate, you realize that all problems can be solved with either A, a phone call or B, money. So no matter how many, how bad the problem is, if you have enough money to throw at it and you can phone call the right people, the problem will go away. It might take some time, it might not be as smooth as you thought, but uh, that is kind of the TLDR, it just said the, the summary of, of how you solve real estate problems. You either call people or you give them some money. And then, uh, so to have that mentality definitely would help it going into a commercial property because you wouldn't be as scared of saying, okay, something went wrong in this commercial building oh, it costs $100,000 to fix and you wouldn't be like, oh my gosh, this is the end of the world. It's like, okay, no, it's just another problem uh, that I have to get through. And it makes me, I feel like I have a better position to feel that way because I initially started with a $1,000 problem. And because it's that emotional, psychological barrier, I think that's the hardest part of it. Obviously having a hundred grand is, a very hard part too. But if you're buying a building, which you have that that amount of problems, uh, I'm assuming already you have some amount of capital. To deal.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, y- you make a great point. And we'll, we're definitely about to unpack this some more because you've got some great stories to tell here. But commercial real estate is all about who you know. That's all it is. It's all about who you know. I mean, um, you know, I tell people all the time that are looking to get into commercial real estate, go out, network with the brokers, network with the property managers, network with the developers and build a relationship with them. Because one, you know, maybe they'll offer you a job, maybe they won't. But later down the road, if you're ever doing a deal and you're sitting across the table from them, you'll have a good relationship and you can probably figure something out. Uh, That's that's helped me time and time again. Um, The Kim Sharp just jumped in into the comment section. Awesome content. Glad to catch you guys live. Appreciate it, Kim hope you're doing well. Uh, So we're doing on Mondays, 530 p.m. Central, I am doing a newscast where we're actually recapping the uh, news, commercial real estate news from the week prior. So Andy and I are actually working on that. He's my assistant producer on that one. And then we're working on bringing more interviews like this on Tuesdays at 530 p.m. Central. So uh, definitely stay tuned uh, for, for more content on commercial real estate. There's just not enough of it out there. We've got to keep this coming in. So Andy, when did you decide it was time to to actually start focusing on commercial real estate and make that move?
1: It was about in when Corona hit. I mean that that's actually probably that oh, perfect it. timing. <laughs> I know. I mean it was because of coronavirus and uh, I mean it was a kind of an outside shock to my system of why I got my first real estate license in the first place. And that, that's a, another long story we can talk about uh, later, but the, the outside shock of coronavirus says, when you have these events in your life, it that's usually when decisions are made, right? Because you have to start reevaluating your priorities and saying, hey, I can't just keep going. A lot of things have changed. What am I going to change? What do I actually want? And I so I thought that I was going to be able to keep continuing Uh, kind of doing residential stuff because I had ended up, the person who robbed me, I had ended up working with him and was doing other projects. I was I literally became somehow from a guy who had never held a hammer, I was running a small little project management business for a bunch of people. And we did a lot of e-models for people and and helped people out that way. It was kind of weird. Just because I had the ability first to talk to people, I guess, and I could you know, put up a spreadsheet and I would show up on time (laughs) and respond to phone calls. Uh, It's amazing what it takes to actually
0: stand apart from the crowd, right? (laughs) Just show up on time. That's all
1: you really (laughs) have to do. And I had a guy who knew how to do the stuff. So uh, that's the guy who ended up robbing me that I was working with uh, on on my other property. But I thought I was going to keep doing that and keep flipping and investing because I'm like, now I know I've got this stuff unlocked. March hits. And then I said, hey, maybe I want to rethink about it. Also, that's when I found out that he stole from me. Literally in the same week, uh, I get back. We go on a spring break trip to Cancun, me and my friends. And Vanderbilt had the earliest spring break out of every school in the country. So we get back first. And actually, we had kids from Italy at the time, which no one at the time, it's hard to think about it now, but at the time, nobody knew that Italy had a bunch of corona going on. And obviously... They, they did, but it was just kind of underneath. So we had kids on campus actively with coronavirus. So we were the third, second or third school in the entire country. I think it was two schools on the West Coast that were first and second. And we were the third school in the country to shut down. So that was the first week of March. And I said, oh, crap, you know, I'm about to lose all my friends and we have to go home and all the things that I had planned for my senior year. Uh, mostly not doing school and uh, <laughs> doing other activities instead doing real uh, estate in the was, back of the class. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, was was taken away from me. And all and all my relationships were taken away from me. And then the week after that, I realized my other guy who had been working for me, had been stealing from me, and had, was actually a drug addict and had pawned all my tools. So that those kind of both things together, you know, made me. It very just pushed sad. you off the ledge.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: It, it wasn't. It wasn't a happy time. I think for many people, when Corona first hit. So in that moment, I said, "Hey, what do I actually want to do?" And I, I decided, hey, you know, I wanted to work in affordable housing. I wanted to get into and not just affordable housing in any capacity. I wanted to be in development specifically. I wanted to be in the development of things to you know, help solve the affordable housing crisis. And so I said, it is time. And so I literally, gosh, I, I just said, okay, it's time to start networking. And I pulled out a, I started Googling all the people who had gone to Vandy, who were in real estate in Nashville, talking to them about the whole industry. So I, even though I w- wanted to, in my mind, to focus on affordable housing, uh, I I was talking to everyone that I could in the profession, just in general, saying, hey, uh, I'm looking to break into this space. I genuinely don't know anything about the commercial space. I did this, this, this. I did I have a broker's license and did some residential stuff. I want to get in for affordable housing. What would you say to someone just starting out? Uh, Who do you know who might be in this space? And just trying to talk to people, as many people as I can. And one of the biggest benefits to me that I had was that I had grown up here in Nashville and had gone to a school called Montgomery Bell Academy. And really, MBA has a really long legacy in Nashville, just like Vandy does, Vanderbilt does. And so a lot of alumni are big into real estate, including the guy I'm talking to right now, right? So that's how I got connected. Roll red. So that's how I got connected to Tyler because of talking to the people uh, who were in my alumni association. I was just trying to talk to everyone in real estate who went to MBA, who went to Vandy and using my connections that way. And that's what it took a long time, right? From March to, uh, I guess I started doing some work for Tyler and about October, or so maybe a little bit earlier than that, uh, but you know that's half of a year, and so it's it doesn't happen immediately. It's not you're not going to find who you're looking for immediately. But if you keep saying, "Hey, I would love to schedule a phone call, follow up with them, take them out to coffee or lunch if they have time," and say, "I, you know, because their most valuable thing for any busy busy professional is their time." and for you to be able to get a portion of that time, you, I mean, you gotta really value that, right? And, and try to show them that you value that as much as possible. So if you can take people out to lunch or coffee, then that's ideal, right? Because then they have to eat, you know? They're gonna eat anyway, and they can get some free free stuff out of it, you know? That, that could be a good way to do it. But uh, essentially, these, relationships were very key to me being able to break into the commercial real estate industry in the first place. And this is something that I, how I kind of frame it. I think that real estate, especially commercial real estate, is the most business business, as in business is a thing where you sell a product or a service, but it requires a lot of relationships and mostly communicating with people, following up on your leads and because every business at the end of the day has two businesses. It is both lead generation of how am I getting customers in and the product or service you're selling. And I think real estate really is the most businessy business side of it. I just say business, business, business all over again. Business, business, business. And it's just so dependent on those relationships that it's hard to break in by yourself. And no one's like, if you're trying to go invest in apartments, or trying to break in to uh, developing. No one's gonna take you seriously unless you're working with someone who's already done it. And that's the unfortunate thing about it. You have to have done it before for anyone to take you seriously. But if you've never done it before, how do you ever get started? That's the dilemma. So you have to get in with somebody who is knowledgeable, experienced, and, and, and ideally pretty cool. So that's why I said Tyler is a, is a good fit.
0: Yeah, we're not too bad. I mean, we have fun around here. I'm actually, uh, you know, we're having this live and drinking some honeymead that Andy actually brewed himself. That was one of the uh, that was one of the things that he did that stood out when when he was going through the process with us is he just came by one day and, and hung out. We went out to lunch as a team, and I thought that he just wanted to hang out because we all, you know, I've got several guys that went to NBA and, mm-hmm. uh, in, my, in my office, which is a story for another time. Um, but that just shows you how strong the network is. Right. And, uh, then he followed up that meeting with, Hey, by the way, I brew my own honeymead and I would love to drop some off for you at your office. And so like, he kept doing this follow-up and then I ran into a, uh, a buddy of mine over at CBRE who was like, dude, you've got to hire this kid. Uh, you know, he, he went to school with my son. I know him really well. He's been, you know, he's really interested in commercial real estate and, uh, you know, his name's Andy Zhu. And I was like, what? I, I literally had lunch with Andy two weeks ago. He didn't tell me he wanted a job. And so, I mean, it was literally like a week or two later, Andy was on board with us. Um, so it's funny, but man, it's, it's not uncommon, the process that you went through. I know guys that went through, what, 30 or 40 interviews. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, you, it took, what, six months, give or take. You know, a lot of people just give up. I mean, it's commercial real estate's a really competitive industry. Um, yeah. So Kim, Kim just jumped in. She said, mead is delicious. Yes, it is. I don't know if you guys have Hell ever yeah. had mead. It's really, really good. And, yeah. I mean, you basically have to be a chemist to, uh, to brew mead well, from what I understand. And, uh, uh Andy's very good at it. So if you're ever in Nashville and Andy is brewing up some honey mead, <laughs> get, go by and pick you up a bottle. Uh, it is definitely worth it. Um, But yeah, commercial real estate's incredibly competitive. I mean, like I said earlier, you know, there's probably 400 commercial real estate brokers in Nashville, and I may be completely off on that number. But just based on what we do at the Cobble Group, which is my one of my companies, a commercial real estate brokerage, we don't really interact with too many brokers. I mean, there's, you know, again, 80-20 rule. Um, But there's 12,000 residential agents. The reason that there's that I say there's probably 400 brokers in Nashville, commercial properties are so different. And it's such a different process that there's not as many deals that trade. I mean, think about how many homes there are compared to office towers downtown, there's way more homes. So you just don't need as many people in the profession as you would in residential, which makes a big difference. Um, So Andy, when you were going through the process and and talking to all of these groups, I mean, what was the feedback that you were getting? uh, You know, when you were talking to these different developers when you were talking to other investment firms?
1: uh i mean i had a lot of good feedback i think because obviously and here's the thing i want to say i think this would help for anyone young trying to get in i it's not like i didn't have good feedback you know if if you can communicate yourself well and i had a very easy story right i said i grew up in nashville you know i want to give back to this city i'm really interested in doing affordable housing potentially as as this type of development and you know one of the big factors of of Tyler's that he is so focused on micro units. And that is one way to provide affordability. Well, A lot of people think of affordable housing as only, you know, government sponsored housing, but it doesn't have to be that way, right? There's a lot of potential solutions to the problem. So I had a very easy, concise story of what I wanted to do. And I think I was able to deliver it well. And also, I have a good resume, you know, i been doing these things kind of essentially to prepare myself, I've always been uh, trying to do entrepreneurial type stuff I had. And I have good grades as well. I'm fortunate that I don't have to spend a lot of time in school, I didn't in order to get very good grades. So that helped as well. Not that people really care about your grades. But you know, when I can slide over a piece of paper that said, you know, magna cum laude from Vanderbilt, honor society, you know, it's, uh, it It doesn't look too bad that doesn't hurt right it it can't it can't hurt you not that i think people super care about your exact number but that's just kind of a a little a little bonus so based on all those factors i was getting a lot of feedback and really good feedback especially whenever i could get in front of someone in person and obviously with corona uh it was difficult and you want to wear masks and all that kind of stuff uh so i probably would have had more in-person meetings if it had not been corona but you know them's the times. So when I got in front of people, I was getting good feedback. And saying, and they were saying, hey, we, we definitely want to consider you for a position or you know, Just send out your resume here. It's like, we're definitely going to try to make something work. And then time would drag on. I'd go by a week or another two weeks. And then I'd follow up and say, hey, what's going on here? And they say, hey, I don't know. There's, we can't really do anything uh, for you. Uh, at this time, or they they might still say, hey, I actually am interested, but we're, we're still trying to work on some stuff. So that happens a lot. And I want to advise people that if that happens to you, it's, just, it's hard not to take it personally, especially when you're first going through it, because you're like, why do they hate me? I'm so, you know, I must <laughs> be so incompetent. Nobody likes me. I'm never going to get a job. I'm going to be poor and broke forever. But You know, these people are busy and then you never know what's going on with people's lives. And especially if you want to work for a successful company, you know, they've got a lot of stuff to do. And um, unless they're super actively trying to hire. And it was worse because I was going in an environment when commercial real estate was (laughs) during coronavirus, not a very uh, active hiring environment for the real estate industry, shall we say, for obvious reasons. Uh, So I was fighting that trend as well, essentially trying to sheer force of will say, I'm such a good candidate, you have to take me. And uh, even even trying to say, I'm willing to work for free for people and saying, I'm willing to do work for you. Not everybody, not everybody, even if you're willing to work for them, has the capacity to take you on and provide that to you because it does require a lot of work and navigation and mentorship just to have someone even work for you for free and uh so i was saying that and then you know even even with that i wasn't getting a lot of traction as well so that's that's something interesting to keep in mind and i think the last factor that uh tyler just mentioned is that he had been talking to um, one of my friend's dads, Ko Kennedy at CBRE, uh, about uh, about a job just randomly, and I did not even realize that my friend, because I went to middle school with him, I did not even realize that his dad was in real estate. Because when you're in middle school, you don't really know what you're. Yeah, you have no idea. Prepared. Yeah, so you have honestly no idea. I didn't even know that he was in real estate. Otherwise, I would have reached out to him earlier. What happened? was that I talked to someone uh, from MBA who said, you need to talk to another guy at CBRE, Harrison Johnson, and Harrison Johnson said, who does office here? And uh, he said, hey, if you're really interested in the affordable housing, one of the things you really need to understand is the debt and structured finance side, so you need to talk to K.O. Kennedy. So through several layers, that I even realized, hey, this guy, um, this guy was my friend's dad, and but I didn't even know that directly outright. I was talking to another one of my friends uh, that his dad and was working at an affordable housing nonprofit, and I had no idea until I happened to offhand mention it to him, and he's like, "Wait, my dad does that," and then I was able to talk to him and meet some people that way as well. So the, if you're excited about something and people say this when it comes to raising money as well, but it, it, when you're trying to get into this industry, I, it really cannot, or any job, it really cannot hurt if you are passionate about it and you're solid with yourself, just to mention that you're trying to what you're trying to do to all your friends, you never know who they might know, uh, that can help you get a leg up because if I hadn't randomly connected with these people, um, through my friends then you know a lot of things would never have happened but that's life right it's a lot of random chance sometimes and you have to make your own luck by talking to as many people as possible
0: yeah i mean that's it's it's funny i was just thinking through all the different steps that had to happen in order for you to come work with us so one COVID had to hit to a point Mm -hmm. where you decided you were going to go into commercial real estate and then COVID had to stay strong for so long that all of these other firms that I think would have 100% have brought you on and under normal circumstances were like a little too scared to hire. You know, I put under contract one of the biggest deals we've ever done. It's a 32 acre mixed use development uh, about 15 minutes outside of downtown Nashville. And I start having to talk to, to debt guys because, you know, I, I've usually worked with local lenders. So now I've got to go out of my way and talk to a debt guy. Well, I get introduced to KO and KO and I are walking on that site one day and he goes, man, you need to meet Andy Zhu. He's he's the man. And I was like, that's so funny. I mean, just all of the things that had mm-hmm. um, had to go full circle to come back around into that uh, is pretty remarkable. So, guys, if you have any questions, if you're joining us live on the YouTube uh, live stream, Uh, feel free to drop questions in the comment section. Uh, We've got one from Kim Sharp. Would you suggest it's better to develop micro unit housing from ground up or potentially convert distressed vacant apartment buildings to micro? That's a great question, Kim. I, in in my opinion, um, and I want to get Andy's opinion on this too. I think it's easier to actually develop ground up uh, because Converting something into micro units, unless it's like a a hotel conversion, right? Like a motel conversion, we've got one of those that we're managing. It's 126 units and the rooms are 216 square feet. Well, that obviously lends itself to a very simple apartment conversion. Um, If you're going to take a regular sized apartment building, you got to think about all of the additional plumbing that you're going to have to add in for all of the bathrooms and this and that, and you're going to have to cut through concrete. Um, there, there are any number of messes that could come out of that, um, that, that you could avoid just by doing completely new construction. Now, obviously new construction development is going to be a bit more of a process. Uh, it's, it's a little more foreign to most people just because, I mean, not very many people have built a building from the ground up. Um, that being said, I, I really do think new construction development can be easier, but Andy, what's your take on that? What, What do you think, uh, Kim should do?
1: I think that it is easier if we are saying, if I am a developer and I have the opportunity to either convert, and I have all the knowledge, let's assume that I have all the knowledge and the money to be able to do either one. I think it is easier to do a ground-up development because then you can plan your uh, units very specifically and design them in a certain way so you have all the plumbing running next to each other right these are the things that you wouldn't necessarily think about that you have all the hvac systems running next to each other you can make them more energy efficient all this kind of stuff that uh you it's hard to do in a retrofit so i do think it's easier in that way but i think if if you're someone who has the opportunity and i let's just say you're just someone with you know a million bucks or a few hundred thousand dollars has the potential to get a loan to renovate an old apartment building or an office building or something and turn it into like 10 units, something like that. Uh, I think that is maybe an easier ask for people who don't necessarily have the development relationships or wherewithal to start a new development, right? Because obviously the development process, you have to have done a development before. No one's going to give you a loan to develop a, a property if you've never developed one before. And it's also going to be hard to get a loan obviously to it's risky. renovate. Yeah, it's a lot riskier, right? It's also it's also it's also going to be harder to get a loan to renovate a property if you've never renovated before, but that's obviously something that uh, for the lender for you for everyone is conceptually way easier to understand because it's a building that you can sit there and touch and feel in the first place. Right, And obviously, we are big into conversion and adaptive reuse. A lot of our projects that we're currently doing are adaptive reuse and trying to reuse these old buildings and figure them out. But because they're old buildings, we can find that there's actually a lot of weird problems behind the walls that uh, oh, yeah. can be also more expensive and hard to deal with than if we were just starting from the ground up. But not everybody, I think the point I'm really trying to say is that I don't think everyone necessarily will have the ability to get into development right away. So if you, it might be easier in the sense that it's a definitely more accessible thing to do in terms of renovation, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to save more money over the long run or more headache. It will be probably more headache, but it might be easier to get started.
0: Yeah, I think I think that's absolutely right. I mean, I, I'm a big fan of value add. Um, that being said, we're we're undergoing our first uh, basic conversion, right? I mean, we bought a tower in downtown Chattanooga, and we're turning five or six of the the twelve floors that we have available there into multifamily, and it used to be a hotel. So we're gonna get it. It was built in 1915 as a hotel. So we're gonna get a lot of. Uh, you know, some probably hidden gems, maybe, maybe find some plumbing where we didn't know there was plumbing or, you know, stuff like that. But at the same time, we're running into a lot of issues that if I was building this tower from the ground up, we just, we wouldn't have to deal with. Yep. Absolutely. Kim. I uh, hope that helped. So, um, Andy, let's, let's talk about TikTok, man. Uh, it's you, you dived into this, uh, what, like three, four weeks ago, not that long ago. And, you know, obviously, you've given me the bug. So now I'm working on TikTok. But what made you jump on TikTok and want to start talking about commercial real estate? Because I until you started doing that, I thought there's no way that commercial real estate professionals are going to be on there. But you've had some ridiculous, pe- like outreach. So talk, like, talk, talk to us about it.
1: Well, the things you have to realize about TikTok is that There's a lot of people on the platform. I think over 100 million people in the United States use TikTok. Obviously, that's huge massively to the younger side. But if you think, gosh, one in three people in this country use this app monthly, that's kind of nuts. That's pretty remarkable. there's not really another social media that can match that. And it's because their special algorithm that they developed to push videos for you, First, videos trigger more things in your brain than reading a tweet or seeing a picture, right? Well, on Instagram will do. Being videos can, you know, make you feel more connected to people. That's why YouTube is so popular. But TikTok has this special addictive nature because it sends you content that, based on your profile, it believes you want to watch. And the more you watch, the more it knows what you want to watch. So you end up watching more and more because you like everything it sends to you. So it is just, it's pretty crazy how uh, it can suck people in, but it be, and that's why there's so many people there. The second thing is that because of that algorithm, in terms of getting discovered, it is the easiest platform by far to get discovered, right? I, by some freak accident, I have over a hundred thousand followers on my TikTok channel. Oh, in less than a month. In less than a month, that isn't. And really, I got the first hundred thousand in a week. Uh, it's kind of crazy how that possibly can happen. There's no way that ever happens. Yeah, that's so. Me.
0: So, and you can see next to my middle finger here, he's got a video on on Newell Tower, which is a tower that we bought in Chattanooga. It, which is a great TikTok. You should definitely go check it out if, if uh, you're remotely considering TikTok for commercial real estate. Because that was the video that I watched. I was like, okay, Andy, I need to get into this. We need to start taking this seriously. It has 146,000 views. 146,000 views. And how many, how many people have commented on that? And how many people have reached out about investing in our deals or you know, wanting to work with us or learn more about commercial real estate? I mean, that's what was remarkable to me.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've had like 15, 20 people in my DMs saying, you know, could we work for you guys? I'm a student. I'm an engineer. I'm whatever. I would love to work with you. I've had people and that way more in the comments. I haven't even been able to go back through and reply to all the comments because there's just so many. It just, it's, there, it's an overwhelming amount of response. And also, you know, we've had five or six people reach out about investing in our deal as well. Which is crazy, right? I just posted a TikTok video. Through TikTok. I, <laughs> I mean. And you would never think so. You would never think so because you think, oh, everyone on the app is, is kids. But uh, there's a lot of younger professionals on the app as well, especially in the millennial generation. And, you know, not an unreasonable amount of older people too. And these older people, by the fact that they would be on an app like TikTok, are going to be more amenable to kind of this forward thinking type of stuff that is the type of real estate that Tyler and I are really trying to focus on is kind of, you know, redefining what it means to to be a real estate investor, a commercial real estate developer. So that's, I, I feel like a, a combination of all those factors is why um, we were able to have such success so quickly. Uh, just that ability, Because if you start posting YouTube content, I mean, Tyler's been working on it for about a year, over a year now, right? And he's got a very good amount of followers on uh, subscribers on YouTube, but you just cannot possibly match the ability of speed in, in order to get your video in front of people, because it will show your video to people who are not following you, who are not subscribed to you. So that's, that's the power of it, right? And uh, you don't, it doesn't have to be like YouTube or Instagram where you have to be following somebody to, to see it.
0: Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, it's so true. It's, it's amazing to see how these platforms are changing. I mean, when I, you know, I guess TikTok is to you what Instagram was to me. When I first got on Instagram four or five years ago, <laughs> uh, my boss at the time was like, you're wasting your damn time no one's ever going to buy commercial real estate from you on the internet. It's just not how it is. It's a relationship based game. I was like, well, I, I mean, I think you're wrong. And you know, cause millennials build relationships online. Like we follow people. Mm-hmm. I, I've got people that have been following me for years and we have conversations weekly and it's like, you feel like, you know, that person, right? Because I post content, they, you know, say, so they comment on it, say something on it. We have conversations. Um, It's I mean it's a there's a pretty stark contrast as to how Gen X and boomers did real estate compared to millennials and Gen Z. I mean, you think about what's important to us. I mean, yeah, profit's great, right? Like we want to make money. We're not doing this for charity. But it's also a, hey, how can we make money and be successful doing affordable housing, which is something that needs to be done? How can we be green? How can we be sustainable? What what can we do that has never been done before? Uh, which, you know, I mean, look, developers have a bad name for a reason, right? I mean, there are any number of, of bad developers out there. Uh, and, and we're hoping to, to change that. And so, you know, it's exciting, uh, to see, you know, younger generation. I say that as if I'm old, I'm 28. So the, the younger generation, the 23 year olds of the world to be coming in and saying, yeah, you babies, um, Andy has not been shaving as long as I have. So, you know, he's baby faced.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. So, you know, to come in and and and, and put those items um, towards the forefront. I mean, Andy, why why affordable housing? What well, what stuck out to you about that? What was so important?
1: Really, uh, the reason I wanted to get into development of it is because housing and what I love about real estate is that First, obviously, there's the money investment potential for yourself and the ability to make a lot of money quickly, uh, or not quickly, well, rather just build wealth in a very straightforward path, right? It's it's a very understandable, straightforward path to, to building money in real estate. And that's, you know, I want people and I for myself as well to have you know financial independence because that's important for your time so real estate is a great fantastic way to do that there obviously and compared to a lot of I guess the second point is that compared to a lot of the other industries that my friends from college who are also high achieving smart whatever you know business minded people all go into investment banking or you know financial auditing or you know, accounting or or consulting uh, at these big firms, you know, to me, it seems like they provide a little bit less value to the world than creating a building, right? As opposed to they are just kind of shuffling papers between back between each other. And sorry to my (laughs) consultant, right? But that's, for me, at the very least, that's kind of how I feel about it. And the third thing about real estate that, as kind of we said before, you can touch it, you can feel it. I'm having a direct impact on someone's life. I'm having a direct impact on if I can create an affordable place for someone to live, or I can create a a product that someone can buy and get on the property chain uh, and get, you know, start the process of home ownership or owning a condo or whatever it may be. You know, that is is one of the biggest determiners of, you're spending annually, right? You spent most people spend twenty-five to thirty percent of their income on housing-related expenses. So with just the immense amount of difficulty it is to survive in America, <laughs> it's Man. it's not it's not easy. And rising housing costs is probably the number one contributor in a lot of factors, it's housing and food probably are the number one and number two contributors. I'm not going to solve the food problem. But if you can provide an apartment for someone that's not going to break their bank and also make you money and allow you and the thing is about making money is that I think it is important to be making money so that you can continue to do more. Because whether, you know, whether you like it or not, we live in a system called capitalism that is you know money rules the show you have to if you want to do anything you have to have money whether that's good or bad is kind of irrelevant we're kind of stuck in it at least for now so we have to you then that's the problem with charities that are providing affordable housing right they are dependent a wholly 100 percent on government grants that you know may or may not come the funding can or cannot be cut and then if they are cut you know no more, no more affordable units. And that's not gonna solve the problem. So, and I'm, this is not to say that I don't believe that there should be more government money going towards things like affordable housing. I absolutely believe that. But it can't be that by itself because that's never going to solve the problem, right? It, it, there needs to be some solution that's scalable and, you, and that has to be a market-based solution which if a developer can crack the code and say, I can build houses, for people for $100,000 and make profit. Or I can build an apartment and rent it out at $750 a month and make profit. That guy or gal is going to be the richest person in the country because that demand for that product would be is almost infinite. Like they, they would have so much ability to expand and grow that business and not even need to wait for government subsidies. And that's kind of why, um, and and, and talking about affordability too, uh, what I am so thankful to be working with Tyler with on affordability is that, is to not just think about affordability in terms of, hey, I need a cheap place to live for me. Because there are a lot of naturally occurring affordable housing uh, is one of the terms that people use out in in kind of the affordable housing space is naturally occurring. naturally affordable housing, but which which is a beautiful
0: euphemism. I mean, that's such a realtor like slang. like, Oh, it's, it's, it's a nook. It's got a cute nook. It's such a quaint house. Like you know exactly what they're getting at when they're saying that stuff, like naturally affordable housing, it's it's falling apart.
1: Bad location (laughs) or falling apart. Right. Exactly. And that's, and so while those are good, I'm glad that it is cheap, but usually they're in locations that, may not have access to grocery stores or jobs or healthcare clinics or hospitals, right? That's why they're naturally affordable. I can build a house out, you know, two hours from here and it will be very cheap because the land is worth nothing, but there's a reason the land's worth nothing. And it's going to be very cheap because it's, it doesn't have access to things that people need like food or schools or healthcare. So what I'm very thankful to be working with Tyler with is that he's, from his perspective of looking at commercial and providing micro units to be affordable for entrepreneurs and small businesses what if you can because that allows you to provide something if i can provide a house for or an apartment for somebody that's cheap but also allow have building have businesses in there as well or even potentially space for them to start their own business right that that creates bigger demand uh, for for their space and make sure that space is actually a livable space that's good to be and beyond just the cheap rent section like cheap rent is great, but if you're cheap rent in the middle of nowhere, it's not really doing your renter any good right and I want and I'm looking at affordable housing because I want to promote you know a better lifestyle for people. so if pairing it with commercial, retail space or little mini office space for other businesses that they can interact with that tenant. That tenant can be business can be, you know, a client for that business or that tenant can rent its own space and start your own business. I mean, promoting small businesses is one of the best things also for people to take control of their financial lives and, and becoming an entrepreneur. Like that's how people break out of the quote unquote rat race or however you want to say it, right? These if we can create more of these mixed use type products that I think uh, will transcend affordability just beyond I'm gonna pack a bunch of sardines into a can together and call it a day, but really provide not only a cheap place to live, but a great place to live that sustains your lifestyle and promotes your ability to move forward financially.
0: That's what a a wonderful point. I mean, it's, you know, like we were saying earlier, money's money, right? Like nobody, there's no inherent value in money outside of what we give it. It's at the end of the day, affordable housing isn't about the money. It's about the quality of life that you're providing people. So I I wholeheartedly agree with that. I think it's, uh, you know, it's a it's a noble cause. And it's one that you can actually have an impact on. That's what I love about real estate. And it's not just affordable housing, right? You know, that's what everybody talks about all the time. You know, like you were saying, commercial space. I mean, you know, I, I started off in commercial. We're, we're starting to move into some multifamily as well now. But I started off in the world of commercial. And everybody always talked about affordable housing, but they were never talking about affordable commercial space for startups and entrepreneurs. I mean, WeWork doesn't quite solve that because, I mean, think about it. If you're going to have clients come in, you're trying to raise $10 million dollars For a seed round, do you you really want them walking into a WeWork? Are they going to take you seriously? Or do you want them walking into a really cool tech space? Um, So creating affordable opportunities for entrepreneurs and startups and restaurants. I mean, we've got, you know, the wash. um, We've got the provisionary. We've got a, a few developments that we're working on where we're providing 380 square foot restaurant spaces. So you think about the opportunity that that gives to startup restaurateurs to go out and test their concepts affordably without having to spend six figures and commit to a 10 year lease it that's how you change a neighborhood i mean that's how you really add a lot of culture to somewhere you keep it local and you do what you can to support your neighbors and so i think that that goes from affordable housing to affordable commercial space um andy we've had a bunch of questions come in uh so let's let's dive into these so camilla had a question what are some actionable steps that can be taken to begin a career in commercial real estate? I want to focus on exactly what you just said, thinking about the future. So I think that that's that's a wonderful question because that gives us the opportunity to kind of kind of sum up uh, what we've been talking about earlier. I mean, if you want to get into commercial real estate, I, I'm going to give you my my opinion, and then, Andy, I want you to give yours. I would say, look, go out and get your real estate license first. You've got it. You've got to get your license. I think that 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 helps significantly whether, you know, cause it gives you the opportunity to be a commercial property manager. It gives you the opportunity to be a commercial broker, uh, developer. doesn't matter. Um, you're, it's, it's going to be a good piece of, uh, Weisinger, uh, to have go get that. And then, you know, like Andy said earlier, go and go and network with everybody that you can go pitch them on why they should work with you and what value you can bring them. I mean, most developers, and, and, okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring this from a development perspective. People that want to work with me, it's very, very difficult for me to just say, even if they want to come work for free. I mean, Andy and I kind of went back and forth on this for a bit. I mean, he, he interned for me for, I think it was a month before we brought him on full time because I just wanted to see how it, how it went. You know, even if you want to go work for somebody for free, it takes a lot of effort for that person to then manage you, bring you into what's going on, get, you know, just, it's, it's a lot what I tell people is go find me a deal. Here's the last few deals that I've done. Here's what I like doing. You know, I invest in East Nashville. And so everybody that comes to me and says, Hey, Tyler, I want to work with you. I say, okay, great. Go find me an off market piece of property in East Nashville. I'm very easy. It's like, go find me a piece of off market property in East Nashville. uh, That's, you know, at a decent price. And let's talk about it. Because I'll bring them into that deal. And I'll show them how it's done as we're doing it. And I'm making money. Because to me, I'm going to be doing that project anyway. I wouldn't have gotten that project had they not brought it to me. I can give them a portion of that project for having brought it to me, and they get to be along the ride with me every step of the way. So I'm not having to go out of my way to bring this person into commercial real estate. And then if you know if things go well and and we enjoy working together, then it's a you know hey let's let's explore a full time opportunity or. Just go keep sourcing more deals and I'll keep bringing the capital and, and, and the you know bankroll to it and we'll keep doing deals. Um, that's That's my piece of advice for getting into commercial real estate. I think a lot of people don't. They try to see what kind of value somebody can give them instead of what kind of value can I give you to make you want me to work with you. So Andy, what are your thoughts on that?
1: I absolutely agree. And I think... Uh, those first two steps are absolutely a must. And I think, kind of building off your last point, of what kind of value can you provide to somebody else? Is to look uh, introspectively at your own skills and say, okay, what am I good at? What are my abilities? What do I think that I can provide? Because there's a lot of things that someone in commercial real estate will need, right? They want a good website. They might want a good social media and outreach presence. They might need a salesperson they might need someone to do numbers and figure out numbers. And that's kind of what I, for example, my role for for Tyler is primarily is to help him with the number stuff. But, and it doesn't necessarily even have to be your strongest suit, it helps if it is. Like at the end of the day, I am not like a numbers genius. I wasn't the type of person who just loves to look at Excel spreadsheets. There are, I think there are very few people who do uh, I'm not I'm not one of those people who's just like oh I love looking at all <laughs> the numbers up and down and all the different formulas right yeah. it's not me but I'm you know I dedicated myself to learning as much as I could about Excel spreadsheets and financial underwriting and modeling and projecting so that I could have that set of information and value to bring to someone that's why I'm I'm also technically getting a master's in construction management uh, from U- University of Tennessee Chattanooga online during this process uh, now I will say it's I'm not dedicating maybe as much time to it as I should be
0: imagine that the There's, guy who's doing real estate the back of his classes at Vandy
1: <laughs> which is a surprise to all of you as, as I am sure but it you know that, that's something I want to be able to add his value as well. If I can be the guy who not only knows numbers, but can also understand the construction side, uh, that's something that's of immense value to somebody. And if you, but the the thing is, that doesn't necessarily have to be where you start. I think you want to learn underwriting and there's a lot of good free tools out there to learn uh, underwriting. And I think that's a very essential tool as well, not only to have your license, but to know, okay, generally, how do people value property? Because if you don't know how a property is valued, how are you supposed to find a good deal, right? And so there's a lot of good tools out there for free. I would very recommend something like uh, Adventures in Commercial Real Estate. They have a lot of YouTube v- videos on their channel that is that goes through pretty in-depth. And they have literal walkthroughs step-by-step of how they would underwrite a deal. I watched so many of those in order to learn and hone my skills and you can pay for their course, but if you're just getting started, I don't want to say, go ahead and commit to like a $500 to $1,000 course, uh, right off the bat. You don't need to go all in on something like that. I think, I mean, to get your license, you have to pay that amount of money, but for you're you're just trying to get a basic understanding of underwriting first. And then once you say, get, get a more, position that's a little bit more confirmed, then you can say, hey, I can commit to this and, and get learn a little bit more and pay for a course. And those things are very valuable as well, I think, uh, that underwriting skill. But if you know how to build a website, and a developer doesn't have a website, or you're good at sales, you know, these are all things that you can bring to the table as well. Um, and you have to kind of this is the thing that's hard, you kind of have to study that person's business try to it's it's easy for someone like tyler right tyler is a prolific content creator he's obviously right here talking to you guys and gets on podcasts all the time so he's pretty open uh, and 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 wanting to share what his business is doing and so that allows you to maybe go in and say hey i've been seeing that you do xyz have you ever thought about doing this instead or i think i could help you do this i would love to revamp let's say he didn't have a website i would love to revamp your your website for for free uh to see if we could work together uh that would be something of immense value to a commercial real estate person if you had those kind of skills so if you can study as much as possible and learn as much as possible about a specific person and and a good way to figure out uh who also you might want to work for is google The cool projects that are going on in your city, if you've heard something new and there's a cool real estate development going on in the city, try to figure out who's running it and try to reach out to them and study their business and and make it seem like, not just seem, but make it actually that you are interested in them and their business about helping them succeed. And uh, if you can study them and come in and, and not force them to have to say, hey, I have to now come up with it's essentially giving them homework, right? If you come and say, what can I do for you? And uh, that's homework for them saying, uh, now I have to think about giving them something, I'm not really thinking about that. But if you can instead come in and say, I can do this for you, it will improve your business in this way, uh, and it's actually true, then more likely they're not, they're gonna say yes, right? If you're you know, a decent communicator and you seem like a, a good person, they're gonna say, say yes, is I'll, I'll, why not? You know I'll try to see if you can help me. Uh, so that's kind of an add-on to what I would say, what, what Tyler was mentioning.
0: It's pretty funny. So Andy came in the office one day and he was like, hey man, I listened to uh, 10 podcasts of you that you were on and I feel like I could just repeat your story word for word because you use the same story every time you're giving an interview. And I just started laughing. I was like, yeah, it's funny. I guess you just kind of like fall into this groove of like, this is the story I tell. Um, and so there's a, there's a few interviews I've had out there that were that were phenomenal, where I went even further in depth or whatever. But yeah, I mean, look up the, you know, look people up. I mean, you know, I'm a pretty easy person to learn about, right? Because like you said, I'm, I'm very open. We talk about all of our projects, you can even go into my YouTube channel and check out my video updates on an investment that we're doing right now. Um, so, you know, if I'm sure somebody's going to listen to this and they're going to start watching all the stuff and try and figure out how they can come and help me. But, um, I mean, that's, that's a great, that's a great piece of advice, um, to figure that out. One thing too, I mean, we've, so Bruce, uh, Peterson, the apartment guy, um, he and I have a, a a podcast, uh, as well that goes out live on Fridays on YouTube at 10 a.m. Central, um, called commercial conversations over coffee. Well, he and I put together a couple of underwriting sheets that uh, spreadsheets that we use on all of our deals. Uh, There's a link to uh, to those in the description below. And I actually did a video on how to underwrite a deal using the commercial sheet. Um, It's relatively simple, which is what I like about it. I mean, like it's not going to be this this 10, you know, sheet spreadsheet, where you know you fill something in on one sheet, and then you got to go to the seventh page to figure out what it's actually spitting out. I mean, it all shows it to you on one page. We wanted to be about as simple as possible, so that you know you didn't have to be a rocket scientist. To, you know, like uh, like Andy to figure out <laughs> what these spreadsheets are saying. Um, Andy Andy is he's being really humble. He knows how to do XIRR calculations, and we were we were breaking out a spreadsheet one time, and he, he just had like all of these crazy numbers running like hundreds of lines i was like i don't even know what this means he goes doesn't matter just look at this one right here that's where we get a positive return <laughs> so i'm like okay cool um so uh yeah check, check out those underwriting spreadsheets but underwriting is huge i mean if you know how to to look at the numbers of a deal i mean that's that's basically what this says real estate's the same as private equity it's the same as investing in stocks kind of i mean at the at the end of the day it's your trading uh, money and hoping that you get a return on that money. So uh, it's just it's running math. Um, Kim had a great question. Where is a good place to start learning about ground up development? I'm familiar with rehabs and rentals, but completely new to development and building. Kim, that's a great question. Uh, development is the riskiest and probably least well known uh, outside of uh, in the world of commercial real estate if you're not a developer. Um, uh, I mean, I know, I know commercial real estate brokers who've been in the business for years that have no idea what's going on in development. Um, I do have a video on my YouTube channel called, uh, I think it's commercial real estate development for beginners, uh, that will kind of give you an intro to what's going on there. What I would say is go find a developer that you like that is doing projects that you enjoy and ask them how you can partner with them on a deal because development's not really one of those, it's not really one of those things that you can just watch some videos on or read a book on or take a class on and understand what's going on. I mean, it's, it's so complex um, and it's different in every city because you're dealing with different zonings, you're different, dealing with different council or aldermen or you know, whatever you've got going on. Um, so it's, it's very specific to your locality uh, so I would say, go and, uh, go and find a developer and partner with them. And that's what I did on my first project. I had, um, I did a 42 unit townhome development when I was 25. Uh, I went and found a piece of dirt and grabbed the developer that had been doing a bunch of townhomes in that area. And that's what we did. I partnered with them on it, took a super minority share, but I learned everything. I mean, I took it from putting the piece of property under contract through engineering, architecture and design, to hiring the contractors, and and they showed me and told me what to do along the way. So it just made my life significantly easier. I've seen way too many people completely lose their ass, because they think, Oh, well, I'll just go in and buy a piece of dirt and hire a contractor. Well, it, it just it doesn't really work like that. I mean, if you if you don't know what you're talking about, when it comes to zoning, you'll buy a residential piece of property thinking you can build, you know, a restaurant on it. And that's just not it's just not going to work. Andy, what do you think?
1: Yeah, I I mean, I agree. I think that's honestly the best way. And I mean, we're trying to provide y'all with more content, I guess, behind the scenes on the development side, because that is the hardest side, right? It's one thing to be in commercial real estate in terms of, I'm going to sell, sell, sell buildings between people. Okay, that's fairly easy to understand renovation, as I said before, is a little bit more accessible to people because they're like, okay, the structure is already there. I just have to change the things on the inside. Development is definitely the most complicated. Uh, So we we are trying to share more here, uh, but I am not off the top of my head know of a lot of resources out there on YouTube or on, you know, anything where you can get a super huge behind the scenes. And if there are people out there that are making that kind of content i mean we'd we'd love to talk to you we'd love to connect we'd love to if anyone has any recommendations for it i just personally haven't seen it uh and and that's part of why we're trying to do what we're doing here but absolutely what tyler said because of the lack of that stuff best thing you can do is is go straight to the source of someone who's doing it uh i think that's really the most accessible easy way for for most people to really get learning about it.
0: Yeah, I agree. All right, we've got another question uh, from Steven. How would you recommend starting to learn commercial real estate investing or getting started? I have a good paying medical job, but know little about commercial real estate and no real estate relations. So pretty similar um, to what we just kind of answered with with getting started. Um, But how to learn about commercial real estate investing. So uh, shameless plug here. I mean, this channel, we've got over like probably 50 videos by now on investing in commercial real estate. I've put a lot of time into each and every single one of those. Um, we're actually working on distributing all of them as uh, podcast episodes as well. So if you prefer to download your information in the car, um, uh, you'll be able to, you know, just throw it on your podcast and, and listen to it on your way to work. Um, so that's, that's one good way. I think, um, honestly, the best thing to learn, the best way to learn how to invest in commercial real estate is to go work with a commercial real estate investor. Um, and I know that's probably like a cop out. And it's not really exactly what you want to hear. But it's, it's kind of along the, the same lines as commercial real estate development. I mean, look, I worked for a, uh, a boutique development firm for four and a half years before I went off and did my own thing. And it took me three years before I knew what the hell I was talking about. And that was just in commercial real estate brokerage. I mean, even at the end of that four and a half years, I still didn't know everything about commercial real estate development. And I wasn't investing in properties for another, gosh, six months after that. Um, so, I mean, it just took me a while. And then, you know, that first deal I did, I didn't know about underwriting. So I just, I just winged it. I was like, Hey, I think, uh, you know, this building's a good deal. Here's what I think we can rent it for. Let's go do this. And luckily I had two guys that were like, yeah, we do. We've been following you for three years. You know, we, let's do it. And, and they believed in me and we pulled the deal. It was a great deal, but I would not recommend that to anybody. Oh my gosh. I can't like looking back on that. I can't believe I was just like, yeah. I mean, I literally pulled out my, my calculator on my phone. I was like, so we're paying 575 for it. I think we'll rent it for, you know, I think it was like 12 or 10 or 12 bucks a foot net. I was like, yeah, this will be a great return, 10, 10 or 12 or 15%, let's do it. And it's like, no, you don't know everything else that you're not taking into account. What about taxes and insurance and utilities? And what about vacancy? And you know, we had to repave the parking lot. And so there's just so much stuff that you know we look into now. I'd rather be conservative than aggressive on a deal. I'd rather lose that on a deal being conservative than win a deal being aggressive any day. Andy, what are, your, what are your thoughts on learning about investing in commercial real estate?
1: I mean, kind of exactly what I was saying before too, Tyler, with you doing your first one and not knowing everything, it's like the same thing with a little house, right? You, yeah. you want someone in your corner, that's really going to help you out. And I think the best way to get get there and get that for real estate investing specifically, there will almost certainly be a real estate investing meetup in your city. Or a real estate investing association. Uh, so if you just Google whatever city you're in, real estate investor association meetup, you will probably be able to find a group that you know comes together and discusses deals and uh, you know, and that's a great way to actually get in front of these people. I know Tyler knows a lot about that. I think they're, uh, which he can maybe talk to in a second. And I think the last point before I send it back to him is that I think it's not a bad idea either, especially if, as you, Steven, who has a good job now and you have some money and you want to get and in, started investing, I think it's a pretty good idea as well. You might want to consider investing in someone else's deal rather than trying to make the deal happen yourself. If you can be a limited partner and somebody else's deal bring some amount of money to the table for them. Be, and, but, you know with the condition that hey i want to be learning about this property and obviously you don't want to be hounding them and breathing down their neck every single second of every single day but you know if you say hey i would love to invest in this but i really want to learn it so i can maybe you know develop it with you or or go into it with you at a stronger position later a lot of people will be willing to share with you kind of the information and the ups and downs i mean if you're you literally have money in the project so for someone like you, who has money, I think that's also a great way to go. Be a limited partner in somebody else's investment first, and th- and that's going to be a lot easier. And obviously, uh, as as we said before, the real estate investor meetups are going to be a good way to find that out. The second source of to find deals and find other investors is probably going to be if you go to something like BiggerPockets.com. They have a great network of. People who are doing deals and looking for deals and looking for money all the time, and uh, to see if they're doing any sort of meetups in your city, or just you know emailing, networking with people uh, from the website as well. I think that's a great way to get in front of people.
0: Yeah, I think I think joining in on a seasoned investors deal as a limited partner, you've got to vet the investor, you've got to make you know, if it's a developer or an investor, look at their last three projects, figure out what they've done, what those returns were. Absolutely. That's one of the best options you could have, because you've got a full time job, right? And it's good paying. So you don't want to just quit that and jump into real estate. Um, You know, the great thing about having a full time job that that people don't don't realize until you jump into real estate full time, is that you get a W2. And banks look at W-2s and they go, oh, you make a steady income, you're very bankable. If you don't have a job or you're 1099, getting a loan is exponentially more difficult. Uh, So when I first started my company, so I I, I left, started my own company in real estate and wanted to invest in real estate. The banks were like, dude, why are you even, like, don't bother, call us in two years. We We can't even deal with this um now luckily i had partners that had established track records uh leaned on them they had w2 some of them had w2s some were real estate professionals didn't matter but you know combined our buying power together was fully acceptable so um yeah make sure you vet them though um but running these investments is a full-time job i mean there's a reason that me andy and jordan who's uh, the other uh, you know he's not here tonight uh, but Jordan's my project manager. There's a reason it takes three of us to run what we've got. Um, it's it's a lot of work. And, and you know, I, the, the people that do it on their own, they're usually doing very few projects a year. Because, you know, and they'll still, they do incredibly well. But you just can't, you can't take on a whole lot on your own. So, uh, and then going back to, to real estate investors uh, groups, I mean, I'm a board member for the real estate investors of Nashville right and obviously i didn't start out that way but i started going to ren so real estate investors in nashville Ren classes gosh i don't know three four years ago and i started sitting in a room with a bunch of other people that also shared a passion for real estate investing and started learning from them and that's how i learned about real estate syndication i had no idea what real estate syndication was until i was sitting in those rooms with other other investors because I cut my teeth in commercial real estate with a boutique development firm that self-funded all of their deals. So I didn't know anything about raising money. And I definitely didn't know that you could do something like syndication. Um, So, you know, joining a, a, they also call them real estate investment associations, RIAs. Go find a local RIA and get to know every single person. The first deal that I did, all but one of those investors was from that group because I'd been around there for three years, they all got to know me really well. And they were confident enough in investing in my deal. Uh, Let's see. Um, AM is dropping in. Could we bring you a deal? How do we get in touch with you? And what is your buy box? I love that question. Um, Absolutely, you can bring me a deal. Um, Andy and I have a very specific buy box, though. So uh, I'm I'm only interested in East Nashville and Madison, which is just north of East Nashville and Nashville. And I'm very interested in downtown Chattanooga. Um, Those are the only two locales that we are buying in right now. And, you know, look, we'll we'll consider anything. I do office, retail, industrial, new construction, value add, uh, multifamily. Let's throw that out there, too. It doesn't matter if it's a good deal. We'll figure out a way to do it. I'm I'm very uh, asset class or asset type agnostic. It's, you know, what's what's going to make the most sense. Andy, what do you want to throw in there? Because I know there's a lot of stuff that we're kind of looking at right now that's probably a little bit different from that. I mean, covered land plays, stuff like that.
1: Yeah, um, especially if you guys and, – and this is the thing about bringing a deal, right? If you can uh, get on the phone with a seller and convince them – and, and this is what you need to be able to do to bring a deal, you have to be able to underwrite it and, and be able to at least have a basic projection of what – we might be able to make out of it and and put it together for, right? If you, you know, you you could call somebody and say, hey, I'll pay you $20 million for that piece of land and it's really only worth $10 million or $5 million. Yeah, you can put that thing under contract. You can get a deal and say, hey, Tyler, Andy, I I got this deal for you, but it won't work, right? And then, uh, so that's a waste of your time. So that's why I will... Put out there that that's why it's important to learn underwriting as much as you possibly can and there's a lot of things that you can't learn like what are my expenses and costs going to be but if you call around brokers and some developers and construction guys you know they might be able to give you a rough estimate of of what things will cost so say hey i want to build a building here uh, a apartment building here how much per square foot does that usually go roughly and you know if you call enough people, someone will give you a pretty decent answer. And then you can say, then you can look online at uh, something like apartments.com, say, what do apartments rent for around here? And how for what, you know, unit size and how big? And then you can say, okay, this is how much apartments rent for. You call around a couple of banks and you say, what might be a typical term for a construction loan or another redevelopment loan or just an acquisition loan? and then you figure out the interest rate. And then based on that too, you can also figure out property tax stuff. So I'm I'm throwing a lot of things out here, uh, but I, I want you all to keep in mind, this is kind of what it takes in order to find a good deal. It's easier to find a good deal in residential because you can just go in, Zillow will say, and Zillow, I know people hate Zillow, and the Zestimate is not always right, but the Zestimate gets you pretty close. Like this estimate is gonna put you within a 10% range the majority of the time, like the vast majority of the time. So you can come in and see the Zestimate's at 200 grand and just offer them 150. And you know, sometimes somebody will take it. uh, And then that can be a good deal that way. For commercial, you have to put in a little bit more analysis and thought behind that. And I want to encourage people to, to think about that as well before trying to find stuff. But as for what we would like yeah if if we if you can find us uh, something that can be redeveloped into something else we love those types of projects if we if you you can find us a piece of land that we can uh, maybe just park something on uh, we are very interested in using shipping containers as you know both affordably sustainability you can move them around to other places and you know they're very durable they last obviously A long time they're meant to last and be shipped overseas so if you have them stuck you know bolted into some concrete on the ground you know they're gonna (laughs) they're gonna do okay right so we're very interested in in land opportunities as well in the areas we just mentioned up of east nashville um, and north of nashville the madison area Um, and look if anyone here is watching in chattanooga we are definitely ready to to buy something else down there so if y'all have anything cool coming up in chattanooga we, we definitely would take a look at that too
0: yeah i'm really big on chattanooga if uh if you guys are following the channel check out uh we bought a tower the video we bought a tower uh it's a it's our first vlog uh, that goes into our trip to chattanooga uh touring the tower uh, and talking about why we love the city uh, and one thing i bet i'll add to that uh am is that we're investors right? So we're not going to pay, we're just not going to pay market rates for deals. Uh, we want stuff that's typically off market. Now, you can not find deals on market. Absolutely. I've, I've bought plenty of deals that were on market. Um, but I, I'm not going to pay market rates. Um, so it's, just, it's good to keep in mind whenever you're looking to bring a developer a deal. Um, oh, and, and to get in touch with me, my contact information is in the box below. Um, it should be under a big header that just says, you know, contact or follow me or something like that. Um, you know, obviously the best is on Instagram at commercial in Nashville with underscores as spaces in between the words, um, or at my office email, which is office at the cobble So let's see. Um, Oh, Gabe, what's going on, man? Um, Gabe said, just dropping by. I thought this stream might pertain to me. It's funny. So Gabe actually emailed me. I think he's in Chicago. He's 19 years old and he's, he's interested in getting into commercial real estate. So he, he cold emailed me because he's been following the channel, um, to see if he could Thanks. come do any work for us. So, uh, we're, we're talking to him right now to, to see if there's anything there. Gabe asks, uh, what's the best way to practice analyzing and underwriting commercial deals? That is a great question. So Brandon Turner, bigger pockets encourages you to underwrite a deal a day and make an offer a week. And honestly, until I started doing that, I didn't. Uh, I, I didn't buy any real estate. And then when I committed to, I'm gonna underwrite a deal a day, and you know we'll go through. I mean that was that was the best practice for me. It was actually just going through um, the underwriting. I mean it was pretty much it. Just look at every deal, underwrite every deal because you just got to go through a whole bunch of them before you can figure out um, what looks good and what doesn't right? Because there, there's different ways you, you can manipulate numbers. And maybe you, you'll look at a deal and they're spending 8% on property management, but you know that you could get a deal on 5% property management. Well, there you've just found 3%. Um, so there, there's any number of things that you could do. Andy, what are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I absolutely agree. If you just go down, and I spent a lot of time actually this, this winter before coming on full time for Tyler, I went down, um, LoopNet, uh, you know, and LoopNet is one of the commercial property listing sites. I went down uh, and I knew that he had done a lot of work in value add office developments. I searched for every office building under 100 square feet, because that's very cheap for a Nashville area. So I started just looking at those and saying, what do I think the other places around here are renting for? And what do I think expenses are going to be and then just going through all of those deals i went through you know this this winter you know every single one that was on the market and that's how you can and i would pick one asset class to start with uh just to so you can build your expertise there and that's how you can really get a lot faster and quicker because once you know how to underwrite one asset class pretty well it's not too difficult to translate those skills to something else because you will have a base of knowledge to build, build off of. So pick an asset class, go to a website like loopnet.com, there's crexy.com as well. These are some of the commercial uh, listing sites where there are current deals. You don't have to go out and find a deal off market. Like literally just take the numbers that they have. There's going to be a reason most of the time that these deals are sitting on the market. If they're on LoopNet, usually they're a bad deal. But to <laughs> underwrite yeah. bad deal, I mean, if it's been sitting on the market for like a year or two, it's usually too expensive, right? But to figure that out and for you to say, okay, it is too expensive, but how how much expensive, I, the words, I don't know how to put that. It's like, how overpriced is it? I think is yeah. what I'm trying to say, right? What is the deal, what is the number that I would offer to make a 10% return on money, a 15% IRR? Whatever your criteria is there, then you can start to figure out, okay, this, according to my understanding of underwriting, I believe this building is actually only worth $10 million and the other agent for it wants $15 million. That makes sense why it's not selling, right? And that's how you can... uh, really get a good idea because if you look at a lot of bad deals then you'll be even more ready to take on a good deal right because you'll be like oh my gosh these numbers really actually work i don't have to do all sorts of crazy stuff to try to cut my expenses down to zero to make it work you'll know already what a good deal looks like
0: yeah and do not force that i've seen too many people try and force a deal and they'll change the numbers and they'll go okay well maybe i can you know, maybe we'll be able to get rent a little higher, and maybe our expenses will be a little lower. And again, that's what I said earlier: like I'd rather be conservative and lose a deal than be aggressive and win one. Um, so just just be really careful with that because you get in there and you realize like your expenses are going to be higher and your rent's going to be lower. You're going to be in a really really tough spot. Um, so Joseph asks, what are some good sites to learn about commercial real estate? That's actually one of the reasons that I decided to start this YouTube channel. It's why I started my blog back in, I guess, March or April of last year, I was frustrated, you know, I've been in real estate, commercial real estate for seven years, over seven years now. And there's not really a good resource on how to learn about commercial real estate. So I just decided to start writing it. And we decided to start doing videos on everything. So we've got a a ton of great resources on this channel. I hate to keep plugging that, but it's kind of annoying, like there really is not a whole lot out there. Um, Michael Bull with Bull Realty has a great podcast, uh, I think it's called like America's commercial real estate show. Uh, that was one of the first podcasts that I started listening to. If you're interested in uh, multifamily, there are a ton of multifamily podcasts and information out there. But if you're asking specifically about commercial real estate, um, man, honestly, I learned from buying books off of Amazon and reading books like that was, was kind of it. I mean, Andy, have you had luck learning anywhere else? I mean, I-
1: yeah, the one plug I'll say again is for Adventures in CRE, but that's mostly on underwriting. I think they have a podcast; as well. they do have a podcast as well, but uh, that, that can help you. Uh, but really, it's there's not a lot of stuff. Books are great, and you kind of as well, we keep saying it, talk to people. <laughs> it's the yeah. easiest way. Just get out and just get out
0: up. and meet people. Uh, yeah. I think I think it is kind of frustrating. But you know, joining your local real estate investors association, and taking developers and commercial real estate brokers out for coffee or lunch regularly, and, and buy the lunch, buy the coffee. Don't be the guy that just shows up and makes the guy that you're trying to learn a bunch of stuff from, uh, you know, pay for their own meal. You know, uh, it's just it's not a good luck. I've, I've had that happen before. And not that I need somebody to pay for my coffee. But like, it's just a nice gesture that if, I, if I'm going to come give you 30 minutes of my time, hey, I'll get some coffee out of it. We'll hang out, whatever. Um, okay, AM asks, uh, would there be a deep dive in your buy box for us to read in detail? Or is it just what was mentioned? Um, AM, unfortunately, this time, that's probably about all we've got. Uh, but that is a great point. Andy, we should probably do a video on our buying criteria and what we're very interested right. in. I, I think that would make a lot of sense for us to kind of dive into... You know, we'll show an actual map of East Nashville and Madison, the areas that we're looking to buy in, what would kind of trigger us to buy so that you guys, and you know, if y'all really do want to start bringing us deals, y'all know exactly what we're looking for. Because um, our criteria is not too complicated. Um, you know, it's just, it has to make sense. And it really needs to be in those areas. I'm willing to, I mean, I don't tell anybody this, but if it's a good, I mean, if, it, if it's going to make sense, I'm willing to pay market rates for deals in East Nashville just because I know where that market's going over the next five to 10 years. And so I'm willing to just get in and buy it now and hold on to it for a while. Uh, But I'm not going to do that with every single property, I I wouldn't make any money. Um, Well, it looks like uh, everything, all the other comments are just thank yous. Thanks, guys. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm glad that uh, you guys jumped in and started asking questions. That was actually a lot of fun uh, for Andy and I to, to volley off those. Andy, any other parting comments for everybody about starting young in commercial real estate?
1: You know, I think the thing about real estate is that it's not something that you think about while you grow up, right? When you're you're growing up, what do you think about as the professions that people have? And especially me, I'm the son son of a Chinese parents, immigrant parents, right? Dr. Law, your engineer is all that you know. So to to look at real estate as something more than just being a realtor, real estate agent, And whether that's on the commercial side, you can be something with things we haven't mentioned is that you can get into property management and architecture and the engineering and the construction side. I mean, there's a lot of things that are in the entire commercial real estate world that if you enjoy dealing with people and if you enjoy buildings, the built environment, providing spaces for people, things that you can touch and see and feel and you know, really affect people's lives, then there's a lot of different things in the commercial real estate industry that will be good for you. And it doesn't necessarily have to be on the investing side. And the investing side is probably the coolest, the most sexy, but that might not be the best thing for everyone. And that's something I want to, you know, really put out there for people. Uh, Because I think if you want to get into commercial real estate investing, especially, it really has to be something you deeply care about because uh, you will have a lot of ups and downs and, and there will be, is not a steady paycheck as we've talked about before. It's kind of scary uh, if you are on the front lines dealing with all the decisions, you have to make your own decisions, you have to decide what to buy, like no one's telling you what to do, right? If, if you're kind of trying to start your own investing career and uh, you can have a mentor, but they're there for advice. At the end of the day, you've got to call your own shots. Right. And that's not necessarily cut out. Not everyone's cut out to do that. And I think that's something that people maybe gloss over as well, uh, because they're all like, you know, it's such a great thing to get into. And we genuinely believe that. We genuinely believe it's a great thing to get into. You can make a lot of money and then you can also help a lot of people. What could be better? But not everyone is cut out necessarily for that emotional, psychological stress that comes from being your own boss. That's a lot of stress that until you're in that situation, it's hard to it's hard to realize, oh my gosh, you know, I can wake up and make a $50,000 mistake and feel like a failure for months on end. You know, that's something that uh, I want to have people keep in the back of their minds. I don't want to dissuade you obviously from getting into this business, but if you like people and you like uh, providing things in the built environment for people, you could maybe think about, you know, project management for construction or getting into architecture and engineering. I mean, these are things that are, very much valuable and very much important for the industry as well, especially if you're trying to push it towards a a vision of the future that we kind of have, right? Where we have things that are more sustainable, where we focus on building a community, where we focus on bringing people together and making sure that they have opportunities to live their lives and promote human flourishing. A lot of very uh, kind of hippie mumbo jumbo kind of stuff it might sound like, but you know, stuff that's actually genuinely important. Uh, so that's kind of what I would say kind of as a final thought, uh, on commercial real estate investing. It's like, if you really are passionate about it and you're ready to take that risk and you think, yes, this is the type of responsibility that I'm, that I'm ready for, then it is something that can provide your life with a lot of purpose and fulfillment. And that is one of the most valuable things that you can have in your life, right? I mean, we, we don't, we're not here for very long. <laughs> we have a finite amount of time that we, that we spend on earth. If you can find a, a career that you're passionate about, you can find something that really can not only help you take care of yourself and hopefully take care of others as well, people around you in your community, then real estate is certainly one of the best things you can do uh, to go in that direction.
0: That's an excellent point. I mean, if if you're interested in commercial real estate, just because you think you're gonna make a lot of money, uh, please go trade, you know, day trade, or or get into some other industry. I mean, if on the other hand, you're passionate about building community, and you want to change the world, I think commercial real estate is is the best, most impactful industry that you can ever work in. Um, I mean, it's pretty amazing. Uh, just to see the change, you know, you think about, you're taking this raw piece of dirt and you're turning it into somewhere that people will raise a family and the memories that they'll create and they'll never know you, right? Like as the developer, or maybe they'll meet you or whatever. But, um, you know, when you first sell it to them, but I mean, just the fact that you got to be a part of somebody's life in that way to me is really, really cool. Um, Andy, if, if people want to get a hold of you to talk more about being young and in commercial real estate and learn about your journey, uh, how can they get a hold of you?
1: Yeah, you can follow me, Andy Zhu, Z H U at Gen Z Rebuilds, G E N Z R E B U uh, I L D S. Like you know, the generation rebuilding the world. That's real estate connection there. Uh, I'm on TikTok and Instagram. I have a Twitter technically. I don't use Twitter, but Does anybody I have use the <laughs> I don't know. I don't use Twitter, but I I managed to snag the handle. But really, if you find me on Instagram and TikTok, and uh, if you want to talk to me as well, probably the best way is to DM me on Instagram. Tyler's actually way better at Instagram than I am, even though me being supposed to young young person, I just never really got into it. But now I'm trying to catch up to him on Instagram, and he's trying to catch up to me on TikTok. So that's right. We, we learn from each other.
0: We'll, we'll trade war stories. Well, thank you all for joining us uh, live. If, if you were here and asking questions, we appreciate all of the questions. Uh, don't forget to like, subscribe and rate if you're listening on the podcast, and we will see you guys next time.